Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Curious Mind podcast. My name is Gabrielle Ellis, and uh, I take the opportunity in this podcast to dive into uh, psychological topics, sometimes Buddhism, sometimes spirituality, sometimes self-development, and uh, I try to do it in a complex way, uh, which reflects my background and also the complexity that I think these topics deserve. And today's guest, uh, I'm very happy to welcome her, is Dr. Catherine Svela. Uh, Dr. Catherine Svela is a cultural mythologist and a storyteller with a PhD in mythological studies and depth psychology. And she helps people to discover the transformative power of myth through group story circles, workshops, one-on-one -on -one consulting with individuals. And Catherine is the host of the Myth Matters podcast. Obviously, I will uh, put the link below and you can learn more about Catherine at her, and her work at www.mythicmojo.com. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invitation. You're very welcome. So uh, as a background of how I got to know your work and you at all, I was interested in the topic that we will discuss today, which is the myth of infinite potential, which is basically an idea that is floating around in society that we individually have uh, in many ways, an infinite potential to grow, an infinite potential to experience, an infinite potential to be. And uh, incidentally, this was the topic of your dissertation that you wrote a couple of years ago. And this is how I got to know your work and contacted you. And I'm very glad that you were happy to uh, join me in this conversation to discuss this topic. So why don't you start? Yeah, well, I'm- Please. <laughs> Go on. Yes, I just wanted to I was to just ask... going to say, I'm... Um... <laughs> Here yeah, we go. This is the internet delay, yes. <laughs> it's no problem. So uh, my question was, maybe you can introduce us to your description uh, with the vast background that you have uh, amassed over the years. What is this myth of infinite potential and what is the you know, historical development of it? Okay, okay. Um, well, so what I call the myth of unlimited human potential is an idea that is found or was at the time of my dissertation primarily in self-help books. And it was a really huge phenomenon in American self-help books specifically. And I'm here in the United States. Uh, it's continued to percolate out around the world and be absorbed in more and more corners of the culture. <clears throat> so specifically, uh, I, that the myth of unlimited human potential can be summarized in the notion of the law of attraction. And that's the way it's often described in self-help books. In brief, that we live in an energetic universe. This universe is responsive our thoughts and feelings, our energies. And so therefore then if we put positive thoughts and feelings into the universe uh, along the lines of the things that we wanna bring into our lives, that it will happen. Yes. And conversely, if you're negative, you're gonna attract negative things. Yes. Um, so that in brief is 
what I call the myth of unlimited human potential. And it's been a part of uh, sort of a psycho-spiritual philosophy and thinking for a very long time. I mean, it's commonly associated with the new age and some people who were very big in the gurus and the new age movement in the United States, like Deepak Chopra, you know, 40 mm -hmm. years ago, Wayne Dyer, uh, mm -hmm. Louise Hay, all wrote about this. But people way back in the 19th, late 19th century were talking about this possibility. Mm -hmm. And so it's been around for quite a long time. <laughs> as far as you know, did it influence people back then in a similar way as this new age movement did? Yes. Well, that's, um, I would say yes. So there are a few things that uh, critics of, because there have been critics for as long as this idea has been around, there have been people who have been critiquing it and also studying it and observing it. Mm. Um, several things that tend to be attributed to this idea or noticed about it. One is the audience tends to be primarily women. And uh -huh. that has been true from the beginning. Um, another thing has been, uh, and I don't know if this is still true, but I'm assuming so, it's overwhelming popularity in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, and then effects of it have been uh, a, an inward turn that takes people away from uh, uh, community activities and also away from politics, um, that it tends to create people who are focused on a one-on-one -on -one relationship with this responsive universe. And so kind of check out of um, mm -hmm. collective activities and reject, you know, collective analysis of why they have the problems they do in the first place. Yes. Um, so this leads already to uh, the next question that I had, which is what are the, uh, what are the downsides, the negative aspects of such believing in such a myth? And uh, before we, there's, a lot, I think, that can be said there. But also, I would like to ask, maybe before we go into the negative parts, what are the positive parts? Why is it such a thing? Why is it such a thing to begin with? And what do individual people who are recipients or uh, uh, people who apply this myth to their life, what do they get out of it? It cannot just be negative. Right. No, it's definitely not. And, um, and so I want to start by expanding on this comment I've made a couple of times about its popularity in the United States. Yes. Um, so it's my opinion that um, that the United States is, <laughs> when I refer to the United States, I'm speaking in many ways of an idea. Mm -hmm. And the idea of being free to remake yourself, to start over again. And this has been very important part of the United States as the new world back from the first Europeans coming over to this continent. Yeah. And um, I, that idea is permeates the culture in which I live, but it's also part of the universe of ideas for people everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that the United States represents something 
to people, any person who lives any place who's aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, it's, it's kind of part of our common human aspirations and psychology, you know, this desire to be more or to be what you want to be or to get away from the past and start over or mm-hmm. to, um, and so I think it's important to have real respect for that aspect of human being. You know, there's something really beautiful and aspir- in that aspiration. And yeah. this myth speaks to that and encourages people to take that seriously. Um, okay, so my I question also- is, uh, does it work? Uh, it might be all <laughs> it might be all you know respectable and it's a nice idea and a nice ideal and so on, but does it work? Well, I would say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think, and I, I think I might have mentioned this to you when we uh, when we initially got in touch with each other, that I investigated this myth because it's one that at different times in my life, I have been drawn to. And at times that where I have felt like uh, I really needed to take hold of my life or that things were kind of out of control, it gave me the courage or the sense that I could take action and that I needed to be taking action. Now, uh, in the process of writing my dissertation about this, um, you know, I uncovered some real problems with Mm it. Um, I'd summarize the problem in saying that uh, as a depth psychologist, I think one of the most important things for us to understand is that our lives are largely unconscious. Yes. And although the unconscious is mentioned in the myth. Mm -hmm. And although those who are teaching it will say, oh, you know, you have a shadow that you have to come to terms with. The whole thing really is framed with this assumption that you can overcome the unconscious. Yes. You can control it. You can make it a servant to the conscious ego. And I think that is indisputably, and I I mean, there's, it's just an impossibility (laughs) if you understand the unconscious the way that I do. Okay. Um, So part of the idea, part of the myth uh, would be uh, as I encounter it, and uh, maybe you can, you can add to that is that the unconscious is just unconscious because we have not found the right techniques to harvest it, to make it conscious. So that the unconscious is a, an archive or a repository of potentially conscious uh, experiences or yes, experiences. Whereas I think we as psychologists, we know that a large part of the unconscious cannot be made conscious and we will always in our normal daily life rely on parts of the unconscious that help us exactly because they are unconscious. We don't want to flood 
the consciousness with all the obligations and all the calculations and all the you know uh, mechanics that is going on in the unconscious assuming that we could even find out but we would flood the consciousness with all those details and then we would lose the capability i think as conscious beings to do those more simple approaches to life to make decisions in in a time uh, in an amount of time that makes sense and not go through endless conscious calculations just to make the right decision we take into account that we might be wrong but at least we do something and this is i think much more uh, a an aspect of consciousness do you see it similarly how would you how would you describe that i do i do yeah um and i really appreciate some of the examples that you brought forth about the usefulness to mm. us even of this distinction um i mean i think it's kind of interesting or maybe it's ironic or funny that the whole that the the myth of unlimited human potential and the idea that you that everything can be known yeah which you brought into the conversation you know those they reflect each other it's right there you have this idea that somehow there should be no limit to us yeah. and um i'm perfectly willing to concede that the horizons of our knowledge keep expanding and moving. Mm -hmm. So certainly there may be things that we know about dreams, for example, which is one of our regular experiences with the unconscious in two years or five years or 20 years that really transform our understanding of that experience. And yet <laughs> we're, we're, we're always going to be, um, uh, at least, you know, as long as we stay in these bodies, we're, we're always going to be interacting with the world in a way that has to be filtered. And yeah. we're also always going to be in our own perspective. You can't ever not be yourself. You know, it's kind of like, um, and, and I think I always think of Alan Watts said this thing about, you know, trying to be 100% self-aware, like from the outside kind of, is kind of like trying to bite your own teeth. So, you know, we, there's always something that's not, that is going to escape our perspective because we can only see things from our perspective. Right. And that's even another way maybe of understanding the unconscious. Yes. Um, so uh -huh. I think I'm answering your question. I yes. mean, I completely agree that we need it. And also, um, I guess I'm trying to add to the conversation to this conversation that by virtue of having consciousness, you are limited by its limit, by the fact that you only see from it. Yes. Okay. So we can establish that uh, people come in with their limitations. They enter this myth or this discourse of uh, unlimited human growth or potential. And there is um, it seems that another aspect that is necessary in order to feel drawn to it is either an attraction from this unlimitedness or that I dislike my limitation that I have now. I guess that both are possible to introduce one or to make, to make a certain book or a certain idea 
interesting to me. And you started by saying that in, in a period of life, you it was very attractive to you as well. Uh, and I asked you before if it is, you know, if it is problematic or not, you said, yes, it's problematic. And then you said, well, at a certain time, I, it seems like it has a perp it had a purpose to believe in it and it helped you to maybe make an actual switch. So at which point, when you look back, at which point did the thing which was positive at some point turn into something more problematic? Well, um, I think one of the things that I always wondered about was the difference between the positivity and the tools of positivity, hmm. thinking positively, affirmations, policing, you know, your thoughts, doing various kinds of ways to, you know, put your wishes out into the universe. Yeah. Um, the difference between that and the, what has always seemed to me very common sense adage that attitude matters, you know? So I, I think I, I was always wondering what's the difference between having a positive attitude and just knowing that if you're in a situation where you really don't know which end is up, if you presume that everything is going to go badly, um, it's more likely to because that's how you are participating. Um, the difference between that and this responsive universe and the point at which it became a problem for me actually was as I started to learn more from different means, and I mentioned to you my use of psychedelics, you know, as I started to learn more about my own consciousness and what this thing is that I think we're in, um, the it just became obvious to me how ridiculous it is to think that <laughs> that that there's some kind of a I don't know uh, servitude or like some level that I would know better. Then whatever it is that I'm in or whatever it is that's directing my life, you know, what's going on? Does mm -hmm. this make sense? Well, if I can put it in different words, and then again, you can, you can add to that or correct me. So if I believe in the myth, it would lead ultimately, as I understand you, to some sort of hubris and a belief that I can be above all the things that seem to limit me now. And part of it, it can be people, it can be money, it can be life, but it can be also me, that I can be in full charge of myself and thus finally uh, flip the power dynamics that I've experienced so far in my life, which usually uh, as children, we know it quite well, but also as adults, that the unconsciousness is uh, bombarding me with limitations and bad feelings and things that I don't want to think and things that I want, don't want to feel. So then uh, my thinking goes, okay, I, I, I become better in, in my potential thing. And then I develop the fantasy that, okay, I can become the master. I don't have to be the slave to the world or to myself anymore. I can be the master. 
which in itself would not be bad if it would, was true. But since I think we've started the conversation with the premise that it cannot be true. So I'm living a lie and living a lie that or I follow a lie, I follow an attitude of a lie that uh, ultimately would create a backlash because to put it simply, the unconscious doesn't like to be told that it is powerless and it will uh, somehow kick back. I don't know, to put it simply like that. Right, right, right. Yes, I agree. I completely agree. Hmm. And um, kind of ex extending from the point that you've just dropped us, not only the unconscious, but also at an ego level. If you really take this seriously, hmm. then I think, and I, I, I know I have experienced this and I have had many conversations with other people who had the same experience. You start off feeling like you have discovered this philosophy of self-empowerment. Yeah. And what you come to realize is that uh, to assume responsibility for everything in your life is an incredible burden. I mean, if, if you really follow it through to its logical conclusions, and most people don't because we stop at the, at the place of the part of the story where we get what we want and that makes us feel better, you mm -hmm. know? And again, I'm speaking from experience, but, um, you know, I've had some very difficult things happen to me in my life. And if I am honest with myself, if I were in charge, just knowing what I had known at the time I wouldn't have wanted those things to happen, yeah. but they are now the most valuable gifts that I have in terms of being able to understand my life and do my work. And so it kind of goes back to this perspective thing again and realizing that in any moment, we really don't know the value of what is happening to us. Mm -hmm what kind of meaning can be made out of it. Um, so uh, well, you, there's, there's something much more creative about taking up the challenge of learning to be with whatever's going on than yeah. to try and protect yourself from everything that you think you don't want in your life. Um, right. Yes, and which is, it's, it's, uh, it's almost paradoxical, it sounds like, it is not, but it, it sounds like it in order to develop, I need to let life happen to a certain extent, so that I can grow with the things that I could not foresee, or that I was not able to deal with in the past, so that the real test or the, the development would be uh, triggered by something that is really coming from the outside and not by my fantasy of what my development should be. So I'm sitting in the room in a workshop with 50 other people in a self-development course by a myth guru, as you call them in, in your dissertation, right? And then we all hammer out the idea of what a perfect world should be, how we should be, right? In a nice talkative environment, which is largely fantasy driven because it just feels so nice in this group to philosophize about these things 
And this would be kind of ultimately for our organism or our psychological system, it would be inferior in comparison to the growth that we go through if real life events happen to us and challenge our previous way of thinking and our previous way of interpreting and making sense of the world. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, I think you, uh, well, I know that you are, uh, uh, have a Buddhist practice and that, that that's part of uh, the territory that you traverse in your work. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I think you can see that, that the parallels there between what we're talking about as a better relationship to the troubles in your life, an alternative to the myth of unlimited human potential and um, Buddhist practice, you know, which is all about just being with it, you know, setting aside the, the need to say, well, this is good and this is bad. And I like this and I don't like that. And I want more of this and I want that to go away. And like just being in the flow of experience. And um, that's what I, I, I think that is whether or not you have uh, decided to get onto a spiritual track like that, psycho-spiritual track like Buddhism. Um, I think it's a better way to live. Um, mm -hmm. It is more, it is for one thing, it's you're telling the truth to yourself <laughs> about how much control you really have as we've been talking about. Um, uh, but then it also brings you into a relationship with yourself that's more productive. Yes. Uh, and, and maybe if, if you describe it like that, uh, from this perspective, a more spiritual approach would be, would be actually, if we leave aside kind of the, the, the salvatory teachings and so on, but it would be a distilled practice of what people go through anyway in life. So, if I'm a very non-spiritual person, right? I learn my skills. Uh, let's say I had I had two relationships in my life as a young adult, and learning from these relationships, I would think, oh, so now I understand my mistakes. I chose the wrong partner, or she made certain mistakes. I know exactly what partner to choose now. I figured it out, right? Or I had two job experiences, and that now I know exactly what I want. I want this kind of position in a corporate life, or I know exactly how to run my own business. So from experience, we think that we found a formula, right? And yep. then we pursue this formula with a small kind of hubris because we think now we know, and then we crash again. And this crash, we experience both in meditation and in Buddhist practice. Basically we call, we ask for it, right? But yep. people who don't pursue such a path, they also face the limitation when they meet someone who is exactly according to their formula. And then something new come, comes up that they have not, could not foresee. And then it's like, oh shit, that feels bad again. It's not working anymore. So this kind of in normal life, life beats you into humility so that finally you have to admit okay, I don't know the formula and probably I'll never will. Uh, and then getting a much more humble kind of approach to my future experiences after having my depressive episodes and my panic attacks and so on. 
finally coming to the understanding, okay, let, it, let me look at the things as they are. Let me look at myself as someone who's also dynamically evolving. So I cannot stick to the formulas of, my, of 10 years ago. So with this kind of complexity, how can I think that I can arrive at a perfect point where the, no work needs to be done because everything is just effortlessly flowing along in an ocean of bliss? It becomes very unrealistic in a certain point, both in meditation uh, or you know, any kind of spiritual practice, but also in normal life. I, just, we, I think we stumble just more blindly through events if we don't have a more condensed practice of the sort. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I think that uh, when you speak about having this idea that we can have a formula, that I can make the same mistake a couple of times, reflect on it, now move forward, you know, and that life can progressively get easier. I think those ideas and the fact that even people who won't go as far as the myth of unlimited human potential yeah. carry those ideas around uh, shows us how deep this, psych this, this culture of self-help and self-improvement goes. Yes. Which goes back then to the comment that I was making at the beginning about our aspirations. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, uh, and I'm, I'm bringing that back into the conversation because uh, for me anyway, it's, it's very helpful to say, hey, part of being a human being <laughs> uh, is to have aspirations, to want to be able to, to discover what I can do in life and to, to find ways to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's also the nature of life and of being a human being that uh, I'm mostly in the flow of events and forces, some inside of me and some outside that um, are beyond my control. And my real choice is to either uh, willingly and as creatively as possible, like engage with the dynamism, you know, in life and in myself or um, just miss the whole opportunity, you know, the whole adventure of it. Yes. Okay, let's jump to the level of myths again. You actively work with myths in many different ways. Uh, so you don't dismiss them. So if we can bring it back to, you know, a more simple kind of assessment. So then what is wrong with the myth of uh, unlimited or infinite? growth and potential. What is wrong with it? Um, okay. Well, so you're right that I don't dismiss myths because mm -hmm. I, and I called the myth of unlimited human potential a myth because uh, the way that I understand myths, they are very important vehicles for conveying certain types of truth to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, but they need to be under, they need to be seen as myths so that we don't confuse them with literal facts. Okay. And so that, and so the mystery that they connect us to stays part of the picture. So in the case of this, 
of what we've been talking about here, you know, you could say, okay, that mystery is the unconscious, you know, and that's part of what makes this a myth because it's a story about something that we can't ultimately uh, know or prove definitively mm -hmm. one way or another. And so it tells us more about ourselves than it does the thing it's attempting to describe. And that's my definition of myth and why I take it seriously. Mm -hmm. um, the, so, uh -huh. Go ahead. You said problems. Do you want me to? Uh... Yes. Well, uh, just to, just to, uh, I would like to give you uh, my, my understanding of that to check if, if, uh, if it connects. So basically what you're saying, it's important when we deal with myths to know that they are not actually true, that to understand, okay, there's something in us that wants to believe in an infinite growth. There's something in us for which it's very appealing to have this idea in mind, but that should not be confused with a reality of it, that it's actually possible to go through the motions that the myth gurus uh, tell us about and then be an infinite being at the end. That this is not meant basically to be followed as a reality, but that it reflects on us, on who we are as human beings? Yes. Um, what I'm hearing there is primarily what I said, but there's a, there was an inflection at the beginning that I just want to clarify. Please. Um, the, and it has to do with the notion of truth. What kind of truth is there now? And I'll preface this by saying that, you know, I may be misunderstanding <laughs> your intention and your choice of words. Um, but I do think there is truth in the myth of unlimited human potential. Mm -hmm. It is true that we live in an energetic universe as far as we know right mm -hmm. now. It's our best science. Um, mm -hmm. And but the truth about us is that we want to escape the limitations of our humanness. You know, one that we haven't mentioned that's really huge that lurks in the background, of course, is death. Yeah. Um, and so it's not, we can't decide just not to believe it. It's belief really, in a way, doesn't have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's more a matter of going, well, what does is the truth in it do i understand that what's true about it reflects human being and reflects me and my aspirations or do i think that it's factually true mm -hmm. about the outside world yes okay, okay so we went into into uh, i think a more differentiated discussion about this myth and uh, in my practice i see some people who suffer from literally believing in it because then they uh, constantly underperform, right? If you measure mm -hmm. yourself against infinite growth, then you always fall short <laughs> and that yes. feel bad. So this is clinically uh, relevant because we live in a culture that also reflects it more and more. I think it has spread over the decades uh, further so that it's almost not recognizable. Almost anyone seems to uh, believe in some version of this myth. So this is surely a problem. Why didn't you tell us uh, towards the end of our conversation, how would you, or how do you work with it? How is, what is a meaningful application? You reflected on that on, on, on an attitude level more, mm -hmm. but 
what is a more practical way to work with it to integrate an, uh, an accurate understanding of this myth into one's own life? Okay, I think I understand your question. Um, are you are you saying how what's a better way to work with the myth or what's a better way to live a better story, a better myth to live in? Uh, I, I wonder if is there a, is there a positive way to live with this myth? Okay, um, I think the positive way to live with the myth is to recognize that um, that you that wanting wanting to be free of limitations, wanting to have an easier life. Mm -hmm. uh, is not unique <laughs> to you. Um, and it's also in a way, in a funny way, it's not a problem. It's part of being here. Mm. Yes. And so to the degree that we tend, and I think this is another influence of self-help because we see it as a as the thing I'm doing privately for myself to serve my, to solve my personal problems, mm -hmm. um, to, to see it as a part of being human, that everybody's got it. Everyone at some level, it, with a very few exceptions, is to some degree of consciousness, you know, struggling with what they feel is lacking in themselves or in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, really changes the perspective. You know, suddenly it's like, oh, there's not anything that's particularly wrong with me. Yes. Or with the fact that I want change. Um, and I am here. I am a player in this whole scenario. Mm -hmm. um, and the, uh, and that's part of the myth. The myth, you know, there are other stories that say human beings are completely at the mercy of the gods. And so just try and keep your head down and stay out of the way and God help you or not. Um, you know, and this is, this myth says, hey, what you do matters. Um, and I think that that's important. Uh, mm -hmm. So all of this can be very helpful that it's part of the human condition, that there's not anything that is unique to me and that I do have a, a role to play, you know, in trying to create the life that I want. Um, mm. But then there needs to be this recognition that my life is primarily out of my conscious ego control and it's the dance with that, mm -hmm. um, you know, that allow, that'll allow me to make those limitations uh, part of my creative response rather than um, something that I'm burdening myself with in one way or another. Uh -huh. Does this answer your question? I hope so. Uh, yes, and more than that, uh, is it, if I translate it, if someone asks me so concretely, what should I do? Like, how can I, how can I work with that? Uh, maybe what follows from what you say would be go out into your family, neighborhood, into the world, into society, and just assume that people have, suffer from 
limitations, just as you are, and observe if you don't find hints that they somehow want to uh, transcend their limitations. Basically, how do other people deal with their limitations? Do you, are there signs that they are following some sort of, some version of the, uh, of the myth and how to, how to um, live basically, or how to pursue the, the, the limitedness of, uh, of the secret universe and so on. So that in order to bring about a feeling of, yes, I'm not alone with this and which always feels worse, right? When I think that I'm, I have an issue and other people don't, I feel immediately isolated and uh, it's, uh, it hurts my soul basically. So that would be one concrete exercise to do, try and observe if you don't find hints that other people go through the very same. And if you don't seem to find that, look at the statistics of the sales of self-help books. That should be quite convincing that many people go through that. And uh, the other thing would be, can you entertain, is it possible for you to, uh, to see yourself in the future as someone who continues to dance with their limitations with the dynamic with the unconscious or do you desperately need are you attached to the hope that at some point it's over that once i retire i don't want these issues anymore i want to have an easy flowing life uh, so this would be a concrete kind of expose yourself to the possibility that it never ends can you turn the struggle into a dance, basically. Right, right. Is this something that you could uh, subscribe to? Yes, yes. And I think that um, to, I found it to be very fruitful to really go into the meaning and the significance of a lot of the feelings of lack. And what we mean hmm. when we say, oh, you know, I want, I need more money. You know, I, I need, I need a better income. You know, this is the, you know, yeah. we tend to kind of go, okay, that's obvious. <laughs> it's math, you know, yeah. and then there's all these things that I want. But actually, uh, there are many, many conversations that you can have with yourself about what that really means um and what you're really after and that's where i think the possibilities start appearing Mm. and many things can change in fact your entire life can change without anything in your outer circumstances shifting at all and i know you know that you're in the business of helping people understand that. And, the, but, and that's part of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, it's, um, for me, the creativity often, the creative response often starts with a different kind of inquiry uh, yeah. about what I'm after. And I find it easier to do that when I refrain from judging myself. And a lot of those judgments come from thinking that I'm the only one who's got this problem. Right. And to say, okay, you know, I think I'm the only one because we live in a culture 
that uh, is all about uh, my relationship to myself and what I can do for myself and how I can improve myself and all of the, you know, self-help is built on (laughs) the idea of that relationship. And I can see that. So I can try and just hold that awareness over there, you know, and experiment with being with myself in a different way. Um, And you gave a good example there of, of looking around, really looking at the other people that you know and the culture and uncovering the evidence for yourself (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you're not alone. Um, It's there. Right. And also what you said, I start maybe also using that. uh, I start with the inquiry. So seeing the problems that this, uh, this rat race kind of can create, what is it that I actually want? So to shed those layers of what I am supposed to culturally pursue and to get into a more honest uh, discovery journey into my needs with the possibility of uh, feeling better with myself without even doing something externally or changing my life in a very significant way. At this point, I want to thank you very much for the conversation. It was very interesting to me. And I'm sure for everyone who is interested in psychology and more nuanced uh, observation, both about culture, the cultures that we live in, and uh, a more maybe healthy self-development. Any last words from you? Uh, I just, I want to say thank you for the invitation. I think this is a really important topic. And... um, I guess also if, if, if anyone who uh, listens to this, watches this, uh, has questions for me, I just want to invite you to get in touch with me. Yeah. Um, and I'm always open. This, the question of how we, how we live in a way that is the most true and really do fulfill ourselves um, without, without living in the lies or falling into the bad myths or whatever is the heart of what I do with my work. And so I, I love to hear from people and to have any kind of conversation about what's possible for us. Good. I will gladly leave the links below. Thank you very much. Thank you.